you are hearing this, you are receiving a signal from another planet. Fanboy planet. Watch animate chicks with inflatable breasts. You might be a Trekkie. Sit back and watch as the Uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch. Turn to the letter F in your dictionary and add this word to your vocabulary. Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy. Damn it, Jim, I'm not a doctor. I'm just the definition of a fanboy, baby. Oh really? It's just gotten too expensive to make. Probably. Probably. Well, they the, last week, you know, and we of course we didn't cover it was um, that they said they were negotiating for a thirteenth and fourteenth season mm. after they had said twelve would be it. So now they've officially said, and I think twelve is a good run for a, a live action sitcom like that. I mean, it's funny because you have so many shows where I think Moonlighting, right? So Moonlighting. When it was popular, it was all about the sexual tension between the two main characters. When they finally got over that and and became uh, active together, it became it it lost everything. And so now, with Big Bang Theory, you've got two married couples in it now. And no, you have three married three couples married now. couples. Okay, yeah, yeah. Sh- Sheldon got married right, at the end of right, the right, right. So Sheldon I, and Amy. Yeah. And so all that's left is for Raj to find somebody this season and get uh, married and it's over. Yeah. I, yeah. That's their quest. He's, I'm so, I was so behind. Or and, maybe in one season they all have babies. Well, you know, I think I've told you about this, that there was that one episode where they finally wrote an episode the way I've always complained they hadn't written an episode in a long time. Like the first season, there were a lot of inside jokes that they you were aimed to, at us. They right, were totally... Right. Uh, the episode that Neil Gaiman guested on was totally written our way. Yeah. And it, it completely depended upon people knowing uh, there was an inside knowledge of 1602 and knowing who Neil Gaiman was. Right. And they played it exactly the way I right. have always wanted them to play it. And then I realized, yep, it's not funny to anybody in the audience, in the studio audience. It's not funny. You know, it's funny to me. Yeah. But. Do you remember the first night you watched Big Bang Theory? It was a summer night, and uh, we were over at Goodson's, and I said, "You guys haven't watched this yet." And we sat down and watched it. We all laughed like madmen. Good men. times. I think that was the episode with the Flash, the costumes. I'm sure it was. It was all, all in stood in line, line. Yeah, the yeah. different poses. Yeah. that was brilliant. Yeah, and, was, and honestly, it had been a long time since I'd seen a joke like that that was so well aimed right. at us without being an insult. Just like this is knowledge, and that's what I, I you know. I watched the show longer. I know a lot of people in the in the comics fandom that just hate right. that show. Oh, a lot of people hate the show. And, you know, so it had gotten to the point of Elusive. There was a sign that said, no Stairway to Heaven and no Big Bang Theory. Mm, okay. Well, that's a joke from um, Wayne's World. Okay. When they play the guitar in the music store and they, oh, okay. they start playing Stairway to Heaven and the, the says, clerk goes up and goes, hey! And there's a big sign that says, no Stairway to Heaven. So, yes, that's – sorry, I'm getting – oh, okay. 
getting text messages to completely ruin the flow there uh, <laughs> of people that should know better. Um, <clears throat> I almost said it. Anyway, yeah, so Big Bang Theory canceled. Uh, no, ending. I, I'm not happy with things getting there. Ending. And, uh, yeah. Uh, we got a new now. season of uh, Attack on Titan. Yeah, I'm still in season one, but I did move forward a little bit to my son's okay. excitement that I have uh, moved forward. And I think I mentioned I we we finished all of Death Note, and I really ah. really like that. Did you see the single volume book of Death Note? Yes. Do you know how many volumes that thing is normally? They've it's like all it, in, all the volumes in Let's Dune. Like a, you've you've read Dune, right? There's this thing yes. called the Orange Catholic Bible. Apparently, it's like like the size of a matchbox. But the page, you actually turn pages by touching them. There's an electrostatic discharge that flips the page because they're so thin. And th- this is this is essentially the Orange Catholic, Orange Catholic Bible for the uh, for for Death Note because the pages are so thin, but they aren't transparent, and they've got everything. And it's it's about that thick. You know, it's about four inches thick. But it and the binding holds up, and it's a it's like 30 bucks for the whole thing. And if you write a name in it, you ruin the collector value <laughs> <laughs> immediately. That's like a death note. Yes. No, no resale value. No. Oh, hey, this is Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief <laughs> of fanboyplanet.com. And we are podcasting. I don't even care what day it is, but it is right after having recorded episode 520. So now we are in 521 and... We got some comics news, some movie news, some TV news, and I think some contractual obligations that I've self-contracted. Contracted with myself, to mention. You're going to be okay? I am. The, <laughs> uh, well, I've got my my Diet Coke. It's not Coke Zero, and I've had a cup of coffee. I'm good. Ah. Anyway, of course, you're listening to us probably. Either you are listening to us on the website directly, uh, or you have downloaded this from Apple Podcasts or Google Play or... The Stitcher app or Podcast Pickle. If we're not on your favorite preferred podca- podcatcher, please let them know that you you would like them to carry the Fanboy Planet podcast. We appreciate that, and uh, we'll we, take it from there. And we appreciate you listening. Tell your friends. We we really like that. Uh, I would like to mention, of course, again, hey, two episodes in a row that uh, a few weeks ago, my book, I was Flesh Gordon. Now I'm going to say the title, the correct, su- the subtitle correctly. Uh, Fighting the Sex Ray and Other Adventures of an Accidental Porn Pioneer, the story of Jason Williams, who was the star of Flesh Gordon, because as I had to say at every panel at Worldcon, I, I was, was not Flesh Gordon. But anyway, uh, it is a kind of a, a story about that magical moment in Hollywood where uh, kind of adult films and science fiction films and everything just merged and was mainstream. Yep. And so a guy could think he was going to become a star from being from wearing those tights and keeping them on for most of the film. Uh, but it's also, it says, I always say, what does Groucho Marx, Doc Savage, Star Wars, and Alice in Wonderland all have in common? You have to read I Was Flesh Gordon to find out. And we are doing a signing. We, I'm using the Derek royalty. Uh, I think Derek does mean like an ancient Celtic ruler of all the people. But anyway, then... Yeah, I could barely control my own kids. Uh, I can't rule over everybody else. Anyway, uh, that uh, on Wednesday, September 19th from 6 to 9 p.m. at Elusive Comics and Games in Santa Clara, 
in the Franklin Mall. I will be signing copies of I Was Flesh Gordon. And uh, you can go in there now and pick it up. And if you are not in the Bay Area and able to make that signing, you can find the book on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. But I prefer that you go through Amazon as well as anything that we talk about on this podcast tonight that you would like to purchase for yourself and you cannot find at your local brick-and-mortar store, you can pick it up through uh, Amazon.com on the order boxes that are there, the search boxes that are on Fanboy Planet. Sometimes we have direct links as well. And that sends a little code back. We get a little tiny bit of money back that helps support, the defray the cost of running Fanboy Pays Planet for the and steam. hosting it. The hosting fees uh, of this, uh, both the podcast and the website, and, uh, of course, you can also support us through ThinkGeek. We have a, an affiliation with ThinkGeek. There are ads there on Fanboy Planet. You can go through there and pick up many, many purchases, including, as was mentioned on the last podcast episode, the Bag of Holding Con Edition, which I have found to be very Con. helpful at now two conventions. I'm going to go for a third, fourth. No, because I'm going to go to Toy Expo next weekend, this weekend. And then the next weekend, I'm going to go up to Sacramento Sac Anime. Uh-huh. And then I'm sacked out. I am not going to go to a convention again until probably mid-October. I may go to Los Angeles Comic Con. Uh, so to see, to see what we can see there. And We're trying to decide if we're going to go to Lost Con. Debbie's been invited to panel at Lost Con. So. No, that would be interesting. I, I like that one. We went so, last year. Yeah. yeah. So the only problem for me with Lost Con is it is Thanksgiving. And, and yet, as I was saying tonight, I would... Love to take my son down to Thanksgiving at among sci-fi geeks. I couldn't imagine a better time. But I have to spend it with my family. <laughs> <laughs> Who won't listen to this? Anyway, uh, so, of course, if you've got any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, or the last uh, financial thing was, of course, you can donate to PayPal at fan- editor at fanboyplanet.com. But if you want to write in, to editor at fanboyplanet.com and we will read your email on the air. And of course, you can also comment on Facebook. You can comment through Discus on the site, of course, but you can follow us on Facebook at fanboyplanet. Follow us on Twitter at fanboyplanet and Instagram at fanboyplanet. I think you sense the pattern. All right, so as I said, we've got uh, here it is, Fanboy Planet. We've got some comics news, movie news, TV news. Top story tonight is an interview, as promised in our last episode. Very excited to be able to have had a conversation with Bill Morrison, who is the editor-in-chief of Mad Magazine, former editor-in-chief of Bongo Comics, and the creator who took on the Herculean task of adapting the Beatles' Yellow Submarine to graphic novel form for Titan Books. And, Rick, you took a look at it today. This is a beautiful thing. It's really beautiful. It, it, I mean, it's, it is spot on, uh, a, a, not frame by frame, but a character by character complete No, and reprodu- doing an amazing job with the layout that yeah. feels like if the Beatles had written comics, this yeah. is probably yeah. what it would have looked like, but they didn't. So Bill you had to do You see things at slightly different angles and that sort of thing. It's, yeah, it's, so it's really Without sweet. further ado, Bill Morrison. We are here on the phone with Bill Morrison, who is uh, formerly of Bongo Comics. Now, I can say this, editor-in-chief of Mad Magazine, but we are talking today about Titan Comics, hardcover, beautiful, beautiful adaptation for the 50th anniversary of The Beatles' Yellow Submarine. So, thank you, Bill, for joining in. How's your day going? Well, thank you for that nice intro. Uh, (laughs) It's going great. How good! No, it, it is beautiful. I reread it last night. I read it at Comic Con. I was lucky to be one of the few, I think, 
because they sold out of this at Comic-Con, right? I mean, they had a had an edition, had some copies. and uh, Yeah, they had some advanced copies, and uh, they sold out, I think, in the first day. Um, uh, and we had a sign. We had a signing scheduled for Sunday, and that ended up being mostly people who had already bought the book uh, coming back. And then, uh, you know, I did some sketches for the people who showed up and didn't have a book. <laughs> yeah. So I, I walked by. I, I, you know, I guess it helped to have had friends of Titan who maybe they set it aside for me. I don't know, but I got it, and and it's and it's gorgeous. So let's begin with a, with a question about it. Who? approached who on this project I, I would assume titan had had some conversations but how did you get involved it's a better question well i was i was approached um by uh joe marziato who is the uh let me see if i can get his title right he's the north american uh licensing agent for the beatles so any product that comes out in north america that has the beatles on it uh, all those deals are arranged by joe and he had seen the pages that I had done almost 20 years ago for Dark Horse, um, which uh, is fairly well known that there was a, a Yellow Submarine project back in the late 90s with Dark Horse that ended up uh, going south. So uh, it was shelved, but the, the pages kind of floated around on the Internet and uh, Joe saw them and uh, contacted me and asked me if I'd like to sort of pick it up and complete the project, which had been a dream of mine <laughs> yeah. since the late 90s, you know, because it was kind of heartbreaking when I wasn't able to finish. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so so I said, yeah, absolutely. And uh, Titan was already doing vinyl toys yes. at the time. yes. Uh, based on the Beatles and on Yellow Submarine, so and since they do comics so well, they were a natural uh, home for this project. So you know, he put the deal together, put me together with Titan, and uh, I knew Titan. I knew the people at Titan uh, going back years because they're the ones that do the Simpsons comics in Great Britain. Ah, okay, okay. So I I was very familiar with them, and uh, we're old friends. You know, see them every year for Comic Con. Sure. So, um, yeah, it was a very natural fit. Great. How did you prepare yourself going back to this? I, I you know, it says adapted by, you know, it's an adaptation from the original script. And uh, I'll assume you've watched Yellow Submarine many, many times. And <laughs> yes. Did, <laughs> and did you get access to storyboards? Uh, or, you know, is this just because you know this movie so well? No, uh, no storyboards. I was, and and actually, um, I mean, it's been so many years. If all of that stuff exists, like original scripts and storyboards, um, you know, who knows where those things are? But uh, basically, in in the beginning, back in the late '90s, my wife and I had a copy. We had actually two copies on VHS of the film that were struck from. Uh, laser discs, ah, okay. uh, and so we we basically in different rooms on different VCRs spent hours listening to the the dialogue and writing it down, just transcribing it and uh, trying to get it all right. And we did that up to a point before the product uh, project was shelved. Um, and then when Titan uh, picked it up uh, all these years later. 
they had the resources to have somebody sit down and go through the film and just copy down all the dialogue for me. Uh, so I had that to go on, but everything else, all the everything um, visually, was just me looking at the film, um, taking uh, screenshots, uh, picking up books. You know, there were a couple of books that came out in the late '60s that I'd collected over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, looking looking at that for reference and uh, just kind of going that way. Because I, I could be wrong, and we talked about this on the podcast. We we recommended this post Comic Con. Uh, was there a gold key? I have like this weird yes. memory. There was okay, so there was a gold. Yeah, key there was a book. there was a gold key. I think it was about a forty-eight page comic, so it was kind of like a giant size, and it had a poster inside. It's very hard to find a copy without the, or with the poster mm-hmm. because, of course, so many kids tacked it up on the wall, and then it just got destroyed over the years. But. Um, it was actually it was done by Jose Delbo, oh. a very good cartoonist, and um, it's a it's a it's a weird thing because if you've seen the film and you read the comic book, there are some things that are familiar and then other things that very much aren't, and it's because he was forced to draw this thing before the film was finished. Uh-huh. So he he was just looking at a few uh, stills and maybe some storyboards that were sent to him and working from a script that was an early shooting script that wasn't finished um, or hadn't been revised uh, because from what I hear, the film was sort of being revised on a daily basis. Yeah. But Jose was just working from, you know, whatever the early version was. So there were, there are characters and things that happen in the Dell or the gold key comic that aren't in the film, and there are things that happen in the film that you expect to be in the comic that aren't there. Um, so it's it's almost like a uh, alternate universe version. <laughs> <laughs> well, it kind of leads into my question: What were the challenges for you in matching your style to the movie? Well, I've sort of built a career on copying other people's styles. <laughs> um, I I did. I did Disney movie posters for years and, uh, you know, spent decades drawing The Simpsons and Futurama, working in Matt Groening style. Um, So I'm pretty used to just being able to sort of bury my own style. And, uh, you know, if I've got model sheets and reference to look at, it's, it's not that difficult for me to come fairly close to matching the look of a film or a TV show. Yeah, there are a few panels. I, I think I feel like there's a depth that you added that I don't remember the the drawings having. Uh, just just some angles, you know. Maybe that's my imagination because mm-hmm. I haven't. I mean, it's available now on Amazon Prime. There's a new fiftieth uh, anniversary Blu-ray coming. I um, or a four K, um, and I but I haven't rewatched it. You know, so I haven't seen it in many years. But it felt so 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 much like watching the film and the timing. So uh, I guess my my next thing would be is were there surprises for you in the material? Is this still funny to you? It's funny to me, but is it to you after it's, all this time? Yeah, it's still very funny. Um, I love the Beatles humor. I love the you know the dryness of it. Um, maybe because I, of my British heritage, you know, I've sort of got a, a innate British sense of humor. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I love puns. 
even though that's the lowest form of humor, supposedly. Um, Some will I still it's find the them funny. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, you know, I love the cleverness of it. I love wordplay, and there's a lot of that in mm. Yellow Submarine. Um, but I, I love the characters that the Beatles really established in the first film, Hard Day's Night. Um, you know, they, they sort of established these comedic personas that are sort of like, from what I understand, how they are in real life, but a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, jokier and uh, more flippant. And, uh, I, you know, I like those characters. And, and when they did Yellow Submarine, I think they were picking up on the characters as they were established in Help and Hard Day's Night. Um, so, I, I, you know, I had a lot to play with. Um, mostly I used the dialogue from the film, but there were times when I had to create dialogue to sort of bridge scenes or help the story move mm-hmm. yeah. forward. You know, there's, it's, there's a little bit of a difference between animation and uh, doing, you know, doing something on a printed page in comic form. So, um, so that was fun because I got to actually write dialogue for the Beatles <laughs> and try to make it sound like, you know, match seamlessly with the, dialogue from the film and from all reports that I got um, some some people couldn't tell the difference you know they had to go back and check the film to see if right. it was something I had written or if it was something that was actually in the film only the caption um, boxes stood out for me you know like but what you had to do it's the meanwhile's kind of things and uh... yeah and it's funny because in the beginning of the film there is a narrator Mm-hmm. Um, but he sort of disappears very quickly, and then you don't really hear from him throughout the rest of the movie. Um, but I sort of picked up on the voice that was established for this, you know, this very British, uh, proper-sounding narrator, um, and I tried to keep that uh, consistent throughout the graphic novel. Um, but uh, your original question. Uh, escapes me now oh, it's just you know <laughs> I, got, I think to, i got off on a tangent no no they were good <laughs> you know were, were there surprises for you and oh um no not really surprises um you know i think i was familiar enough with the film that uh you know it was just delightful uh, the, the biggest challenge that i had was trying to make it stand on its own as a graphic novel and not just be an inferior version of the film, because basically, it's it's very faithful to the film. Um, doesn't you know try to go off in a different direction or, or do anything tricky. Uh, but because of that, it's you know to me it was sort of like well it doesn't have animation, it doesn't have sound, it doesn't have the the, the songs and the music. Um, so how can I make this stand on its own and be sort of cool? Um, in its own right and and bring something to it that the movie doesn't have or, or you know, by nature mm-hmm. couldn't have. So I really played up the, or tried to at least, play up the, um, just the, the strengths of the printed page. And I looked at a lot of poster design. I thought about the posters that I had on my wall when I was a kid, blacklight, you know, yeah. psychedelic. So I tried to design the pages to reflect that, you know, and just be sort of free flowing and free form and, and, uh, psychedelic and fun, um, when, when they needed to be. 
Um, with 96 pages, you can kind of overdo that. Uh, so I didn't want to get annoying with the psychedelic aspect of it. Um, and also, like in the scenes that take place in Liverpool, I wanted those to be very normal looking. So the panel designs on those pages are just your standard comic book boxes. And then when they get into the Beatles mansion and then into Pepperland, things get more crazy and uh, imaginative. I think the layout is fantastic. I was really marveling at that last night, just that I could still follow as it's still psychedelia. But it, I, I did notice, it's not a but, I'm sorry, that the the book ends where the animation ends. Was there ever a time yeah. when you were thinking about, well, you've got that coda with them, live action. Did you want to include that? Right. No, because that was really designed specifically for a theater audience. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, John talks about blue meanies have you know newer and blue bluer meanies have been cited in the vicinity of this theater and he admonishes the audience to go out singing and uh i thought well that doesn't really work for a book we're not sitting in a theater um so if i did that i'd have to rewrite it (laughs) (laughs) yeah i it's it it, it ends beautifully it's done really right and and what do you think is it is about yellow submarine why are we why do we still want a new version of it 50 years later? What is it that is resonating? Well, I think it's a number of things. One is the Beatles music is is uh, really timeless for the most part. Uh, it's funny because if you listen to Beatles music from the late 60s, when everything was getting very psychedelic and weird and um, you know very different sounding from the music of the early 60s, which was more, um, you know, straight rock and roll. Mm-hmm. You know, it still had kind of a 50s sound, uh, some of it. Um, the Beatles music still holds up, and you don't really think of it often as being from the 60s. Every so often there's a song, you know, where there's a sitar or, mm-hmm. um, you know, Indian mu- uh, instruments, and, you know, that kind of puts you back in that time. But if you hold the average Beatles song and especially a lot of the songs from this film up against other songs by bands of that period, you know, the Yardbirds or, you know, Vanilla Fudge or whatever. um, Those other bands always seem to have this very 60s sound that makes them a little dated. Um, Not that they're not great, but you know, you can, when you, when you hear them, you think of the sixties, but I think when you hear the Beatles songs, you just think of the Beatles. You just think of, you know, happiness and fun and, uh, or whatever, whatever the theme of the song is, you don't, you don't kind of put it in that sixties box, um, in your mind. And so I think that's one thing that the film has going for it because, you know, you can talk to any average teenager today and most of them have at least heard the Beatles and many of them are just huge fans. You know, it's, doesn't seem like dated music to them. Uh, So there's that. Um, And then also I just think the message of the film is very timely Yeah. because it's, it's all about um, love conquering hate and good conquering evil and defeating the blue meanies of the world who are trying to suck the joy out of everything. And uh, orange now. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, so I, I think that really resonates. You know, if you um, watch the film or read the book, um, I, you really do come away with that feeling of, um, hey, the stuff that we're dealing with today, it's it's possible not only to defeat it, but to sort of change it and turn it to your side, you know, to your way of thinking. Yeah. Um, that's To me, that's one of the great things about how the Beatles vanquish the blue meanies they don't just beat the hell out of them they they change them you know they it's like the grinch yeah you know when his when his heart grows uh 10 sizes too big or whatever it's uh you know it's it's a change of heart that those characters have that's very heartwarming and very uh hopeful and reassuring because it makes you think you know the people that are you know spewing hatred today um you know we're not we're not in a physical war with them we can't you know beat them with guns or swords but maybe we can change their minds and their hearts so i I think it gives people hope yeah i'll take that well the the beatles yellow submarine adapted by bill morris reimagined in some ways by bill morrison comes out Next week, uh, August 29th, at, at comic book shops, I think it may be hitting bookstores the day before. I'm never quite sure about the release patterns for that. But, Depends uh, on the publisher. It's a $30 price point, well worth it. And uh, it's a fantastic job on this book, Bill, as I said, and you're doing a heck of a job with the relaunch of MAD. If that was officially oh, relaunched, thank you. Uh, I laugh every day, uh, especially with your <laughs> updates of the one-panel things on Facebook. So I appreciate that and getting getting back in in there. So thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure. Great talking to you guys again. Nice so guy. I do have to correct a very nice guy, and I do have to correct one thing, is that Yellow Submarine is available at comic shops this week. Mm. It came out uh, today, so this is... Uh, I think we said on the podcast, you said in the interview it was the 28th, but it, it came out today, which is, of course, the 22nd. So it's in stores, in comic shops. It will be released through Amazon and Barnes & Noble and whatever local indie bookstore you go to. They will have it next week. So I, I really appreciate when a publisher does that from a comics perspective of trying to help support the comic shops, giving them a first crack at these things. So... Great book. Find it. You will enjoy it. And, of course, you could order it through Amazon if you can't find it at your local brick-and-mortar store. So let's talk some comics news. And, uh, I, you know, it has been a few weeks since we've had a real chance to talk comics news. So I yeah. just wanted to say we had gotten excited a, a couple months ago about DC's Black Label, this new a new publishing imprint, an attempt to kind of make it more like the graphic albums of of Europe. A different shape, a different size, some beautiful stuff, a little larger to reprint the art better. And what is it about that? Because, like, you showed me when we were at Worldcon, you showed me a new printing of Wild Cards that was a hardback, but just a little bit larger than the paperback size. And I just immediately wanted it because. Is that just me? That's just me. No, no, I can't because no. I thought, oh man, so when, you see when these I showed formats, you that, yeah. I, I felt like I was opening myself up willingly for your mockery because i've certainly mocked you uh-huh. for your uh strange fetish for binding yeah i That's, hope that, that came out that as came out wrong. no i all I things, meant it to, I all meant things it to about weird. all things about book printing and, pr- and production yes 
It's one of my fandoms. But for me, I said, like, when I saw that, it reminded me of, uh, of like, picking up a Hardy Boys book yeah. when I was a kid. That kind of binding immediately speaks to me as it's nostalgic. Yeah. And I realized that it's, like, why you listen to the same music. You know, they it's a joke, a stereotype, but true. Like, your musical taste tends to stall between high school and college because that becomes the most nostalgic time. So, um, you know, that's, I'm, it tends to, I'm not saying it's, it's hundred percent, but I feel that way about, about certain books. Like if you presented something to me in a legitimate big little book form, I mm-hmm. would immediately get it no matter whether or not I cared about it. If you gave right. me a, handed me and I, I'm I'm throwing the challenge out. If you handed me a My Little Pony big little book and I don't care about My Little Pony, no offense to any brony, I just don't. But you'd I'd want buy that it book, yeah. Because it's yeah. a big little book. That's what I was that was the premise, you know, when you see the things in a in a certain format or in a different format, there's an allure to it. It's almost like I could go backpacking with that book or, you know, whatever. Right. Well, you can't do that with Black Label, but what I right. thought was interesting was when it was initially announced black label was going to be new material they are instead well in addition they're going back and redoing certain books that have probably already had their absolute Ah. editions their deluxe editions one of which and i think that you and i since i only own it actually in individual issues Mm -hmm. i don't feel quite as bad deciding i'm gonna buy the black label version of all-star superman ah so you know Titles like that, where it's like, yeah, that would totally be worth it, unless you're going to make me buy 12 issues again of All Star Superman, where I want to have one book. I it's, want to have yeah, one. It's, you know. it, for me, that's the Superman book to buy if you don't have anything, is All Star Superman. No, I, I agree. So yeah. there's, I'm sure we're going to see that, that a lot of classic things, I would bet New yeah. Frontier comes out again as a, as a black label. So we shall see. Um, last week, there was the announcement that uh, 20th Century Fox, which of course is probably now 20th Century Mouse, is <laughs> pulling the licenses for Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel from Dark Horse. And they, though they haven't said who's going to get it now or what they're going to, you know, what they're going to do with it, it's likely. The aspect of the Disney Fox merger that people really haven't talked about is. Mm-hmm. Disney also now owns a percentage of Boom Studios. A percentage. Right. Not a... The, Fox had invested in for Boom. Now. But they... Right, right. Yeah. I don't think, honestly, for something like Boom Studios, I don't think that Disney is interested in publishing. I... The mm. comic side. There are right. IPs that are developed. Right. But I don't think it's... I think it's fine to just pay a little piece and then get a first look deal, which is what... Fox has. I'm thinking more along the line, lines of owning owning the film rights to IP. Well, no, but that's what, yeah. that's what I mean. Yeah. Fox right now has a right of first refusal for anything from Boom. Right. So that is that is fine. I'll tell you honestly, Disney might get a little taste of oh, letting other people pay for the licensing for certain uh, for certain other yeah. things, taking the risks. They might want that just fine. Yeah, sure. But it does pull back potentially Buffy and Angel. And I, th- I believe Buffy the Vampire Slayer year 12 was coming to an end anyway. And it had already been sort of the, let's clear the decks because they're working on a Buffy they revival. Just, they just started an arc called Reckoning. It's the end. Yeah. It's the end. So that uh, because they're going to, uh, you know, f- during Comic-Con announced that there'd be a new version of Buffy the Vampire, an update. Uh-huh. And they've been playing very cagey. Like, is it a reboot? Is it 
Um, is it a new Slayer? Is it a new Slayer that yeah. is, you know, we're just calling it Buffy the Vampire Slayer or announcing that it was Buffy the Vampire Slayer right. to get attention? So, you know, um, I could see those showing up at Boom Studios. Firefly is going to show up at Boom Studios. As well as I heard over at Worldcon that uh, the first Firefly novels have been licensed. Oh. I, I have, have there never anything? been novels for Firefly? There have not been. I think there may have been a novelization for Serenity. Probably, yeah. But not but not that. So, yeah. I mean, and the other thing there, speaking of books that feel like big little books but aren't and I'm bitter, is, you know, Boom Studios has gone into that as well. I have a Big Trouble in Little China novel, uh-huh. that Big Trouble in Mother Russia, and uh, or Little Russia. I don't know. Uh, anyway, that, uh, that I saw a picture and went, it's a big little book. No. No, it's the same size as that wild card, but I get, I just get suckered into that form. Yeah. So we'll see what's there. Uh, however, Joss Whedon does himself still own the rights to Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog, so Dark Horse gets to keep that. And they announced last week a new series uh, continuing the adventures of Dr. Horrible. So I think the previous one shot had been kind of prequel stories in the mm. past. This is what's happening now since they're probably not going to get around to doing the, a video the, sequel. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of cool. Uh, as you mentioned, our good friend David Avalone, who, by the way, is name-checked in page one of I Was Flesh Gordon, because he worked on a Jason Williams film. Uh-huh. Uh, he announced that uh, Betty Page is coming back. There's a Halloween issue in October, which actually I think he had said that. I, I did know this, but then he gets, a, he gets to write a new miniseries starting in November. Right. Betty in 1952. I'm quoting David, but it's going to be a cross between The Crown, Jerry Anderson's UFO series, and Casino Royale. I would buy that. But I won't. Okay, see, now here's the silly thing, Rick. When you say things like that, it's like, you already had it on the pool list. Don't pretend you didn't. Yeah. Uh, but he wouldn't say which Casino Royale. So what I'm hoping is that it's the David Niven Bond. Because he already denied that it was the, I can't remember, the American actor who played him in that oh, TV version. Uh, of, yeah, I could have told you a second ago. Yeah, of course, because now that I put you on the spot, and I forgot to, I, I, but he was called Jimmy Bond. And uh, and it's funny because I saw See, actually yeah it's a, and another, he did a lot of a lot of TV work in that I know time I and, saw oh. I actually saw the actor once on stage at the Curran Theater and uh, and it's all that and I still can't think of his name but let's move on to what's in the bag Rick what is it it's actually really we should change but it, it's not as eloquent to say what's on the table Rick what's on the table for me well. I'm going to start off with uh, now. It's been a couple of weeks, so these aren't all books that uh, that came out this week. Right, I'm we're playing sure. catch up. We're playing, playing catch up, so I'm going to start catch up with one of my. I, I think probably a large number of my recommendations have been around this character. I think, and this is the first issue of the new Captain America. Just straight up Captain America. Nothing else written there. It's the title is Captain America, and this is. Um, Probably more than the series that ran after the Hydra, um, the Hydra, Hydra incident, Secret, Empire. Secret yeah. Empire. That was it. The Hydra incident. The Hydra incident. The Hydra Cap leading Hydra to take over the world. Uh, this is the ramifications of the same thing, uh, which it starts off with with Cap and Shield's gone, of course, and so it's Cap and Agent Thirteen and Sharon Carter. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's Sharon. And Bucky, and they've uh, they're 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 running a, a mission, and uh, basically, I'm not going to spoil anything, but you know, we remember when we 
first got Bucky back, we we learned that you know Bucky was around basically because he wasn't afraid to kill Nazis, and so he's kind of in that position in this this crew. But then Thaddeus Ross, remember Thunderbolt Ross that uh, that used to be a Hulk, and before that hunted Hulks. And I was just I I was startled in continuity to discover that the Red Hulk isn't. No longer. It's no. not that. Yeah. I know. I just, yeah. I just discovered that and went, oh. Okay. So, um, so he is now an appointed, an appointed position by the president and basically steals Bucky and Sharon away from Cap. And so now Cap basically is alone in being Captain America and still fighting the stigma having been the face of Hydra for, for some amount of time. So, that's basically where this book is going. It is, uh, let's see, this is, you You mentioned who wrote this. Is, is, this is Tony Coates, Coates, Coates yeah. Been, and still is, I guess, doing Black And Man. there was somebody else that, uh, and it's uh, Lentil Francis Yu. Lionel, not, L- not Lentil. Lionel, yep, you're right, Lionel. I know. It's late. Uh, and we've got. Uh, uh, we are we recording have, at three in the morning. We have a number. I mean, I'm trying to count. It looks like there's at least a dozen variant covers for this one. I got the uh, Cassidy cover, which is reasonable. John Cassidy is beautiful. Coming out of the Star Spangled Banner, really. Only it's more like the Star Spangled Banner. It's more like the the it's more uh, like a lighting tunnel. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a, a tunnel. It's that old Universal Studios uh, Bigfoot encounter uh, yeah. tunnel. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. But with stars and stripes. Uh, but a beautiful book. Um, the first issue was five dollars. It is thick. It is worth it. Is that what I paid for this one? Oh my gosh! I don't even know. I should have questioned. Yep. Up to my you. my first one here is West Coast Avengers number one. Not that that's a title I remember that all that fondly, but I looked at this and this. Is a fun cover that kind of implies to me that this is almost a Great Lake Avengers with with much more competent heroes, and uh-huh. it's Kate Bishop, um, aka Hawkeye. Uh, so that's who it is. This is it's the new Hawkeye and the old Hawkeye together, with uh, Gwenpool and Quentin Quire, and a character honestly I don't know who it is, and America. And so I picked this up because actually I, I'm going to say this was on the recommendation of. Steve Mix, who just opened Green oh. Machine Comics, which we need to go up there and do a podcast. Yeah, we do. From. We definitely do. And uh, so he had posted that he had a great time with this book, and I went, all right, I'm going to give it a shot. So, Steve, uh, you've asked my recommendations many times. I took yours, so you better be right, man. Very you good. You had better be right. So there we go. My next book is uh, The Terrifics, Issue 7. Um, I think of all this – this is hands down of all the new age of heroes, my favorite new age of heroes book. Uh, Champions is still hanging in there. Most of the other ones have gone by the wayside. And this book, for the first time, although we've seen him in in uh, kind of foreshadowed in prior issues, this one actually brings the character Tom Strong from what was the imprint. America's Best Comics. America's Best Comics. From Wildstorm. It was created ABC. by Alan Moore. ABC. Yep. Um, into, you know, actually, he doesn't come into their universe. They go into his. And, uh, and just, Alan Moore goes into an even deeper funk. And again, uh, who is the artist on this? This is, uh, Lem- no, not Lemire. Eaglesham? No, Lemire is, Lemire is the right, uh, right, writer. Right, right, right. 
Dale Eaglesham? Is it Dale? Dale I, I think so. They've honestly they've had a few artists. That's again, I appreciate when DC keeps the books on time, but sometimes that means that that you. Although I'm not going to complain that Dale Eaglesham is drawing the terrifics, but you just look. I mean, these pages. I mean, I'm going to show you. I mean, just the artwork is just so fluid and mm-hmm. good, and mm-hmm. his musculature is so heroic. And when he gets around to doing Plastic oh, yeah, that's Man, yeah. that's that's just the best Plastic Man you can you can imagine, uh, as far as uh, as far as just him him just being a little goofy when he's standing around and then making fun of. Uh, of metamorpho and um i really enjoy this book so here we go number uh, seven next for me from dark horse comics for two dollars and 99 cents too that's important for now yes they're all gonna raise and i think in three or four months anyway uh my first one and my next one is from dark horse comics a book that keeps rebooting itself because it's a mini series a series of mini series beasts of burden it looks like a book that is for kids i don't think it quite is but i think for a like a 10 to 12 year old this is uh evan dorkin written this is the first one with a new artist uh benjamin dewey uh the subtitle of this series is wise dogs and eldritch men and the beasts of burden are the dogs uh the dogs and a couple of cats that have set them in, that are in a town that is full of magic and near a kind of the Hellmouth concept and they have set themselves up as they are the protectors of the humans and they ah, can see the magic. Uh-huh. They understand. We've t- I've talked about a couple of the previous. Jill Thompson yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, co-created this with. Uh, it's been with around Devin for a Dorkin. long time, hasn't it? Yeah, and uh, so a, a new series starts, and it is always, always a pleasure to get a new Beast of Burden story. And so I am so excited once again to see. Do I miss Jill Thompson's work? Uh, it looks to me like Benjamin Dewey has the same. Just wonderful ability to capture the emotion and the animals and to see, especially the the dog, the canines as man's best friend. You know, they are trying to protect the people around them and they know that things are darker and scarier than the humans do. And I love this series and I can't believe that somebody hasn't picked this up for trying to make a TV series. Maybe they have and I just don't know it. We'll see. Next on your table. The last thing on my list is uh, probably the last time I'm going to spotlight this uh, this. This, this book, particular title, because it's it's done, and this is the collection. No, no, no. They're going to beam it into your head, and you're going to love uh, that. The first I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. Shield: The Human Machine by Hickman, Weaver, and Obach. And this this is this is a thirty dollar lovely hardback uh, with uh, with dust jacket. Um, one of the one of the most uh, complex and at the same time. Uh, absorbing interesting uh views of the marvel universe of the backstory of the marvel universe going all the way back to michelangelo um and galileo and tesla and edison and and uh well i won't spoil everything but the idea that galactus didn't first get to earth when the fantastic four bottom fought him but much earlier and the stories there there are there are of course factions within factions within wars and i i this if you're just launching into this book for the first time i really envy you because this is so much fun to to read and explore 
and you just have you'll have like just two pages of wordless wordless panels. Okay, I'm, but I, I will ask a, a serious question. Yes, uh, and you just take a step back and think about this. Yes, is that a beginner level Marvel book? Not that it has to be, because I certainly we certainly talk about things that are. I, just I think you could you can read this as strictly science fiction. Okay. I, I think you can. You the fact that Reed Richards' father and Tony Stark's father show up in it, they're just adventurers. Well, now that and it comes on my brain, let it, me ask it you: doesn't Will matter. you be nominating it for a Hugo next year? Oh boy, that's an interesting thought. Uh, perhaps, perhaps because it did. Uh, the, it finished this it year. It finished this year, so, so it could be eligible. Could be eligible as a as a graphic novel. Yeah, well, I, I know, would. I, I would. And I've said before too. I you know I will say it again. I I'm going to bet Oblivion Song mm. gets a gets a nomination. Yeah. Uh, I will certainly be putting it up there because I love sci-fi there. My last one, and maybe this is one. Ooh, I've just got Hugo's on the brain. I want that book. I, <laughs> you can't have it. It's mine. Uh, yes. Uh, I I apologize because I really assumed that you did have it. Uh, that's all right. And uh, this is uh, Planet of the Apes Visionaries. It's, by, it's based on, it's actually Rod Serling, Planet of the Apes Visionaries. From Boom Studios. So it was a comic book adaptation of the original screenplay that Rod Serling wrote for the 1968 version of Planet of the Apes. It is very different than what actually made it to the screen. Dana Gould, comedian, Simpsons uh, showrunner, uh, not showrunner, but uh, producer uh, for several several years. Fantastic stand-up. Uh, Dana Gould is also a very noted Planet of the Apes fan, and uh-huh. I'm going to put a challenge to you here. Okay. I hope that when we put the page together uh, for this podcast, that you find the clip on YouTube that he did at SF Sketch Fest a few years ago, which is uh, Dana Gould performed Mark Twain Tonight as if Dr. Zayas were doing that. Oh, I've that. seen that. That is so good. <laughs> so uh, that's how big a fan he is. It's hilarious that Dr. Zayas comes out dressed as Mark Twain and just does the one-man show. So anyway, that's how big a fan he is. He, yeah. He, he's hardcore. It's it's absurdist comedy that just hits on so all. So this is based on a few. They've also had, uh, as it says there, as a some makeup testing and concept art from 1966 that was ultimately abandoned but that went along with Serling's script. So that's what they're using as the jumping off point for the designs here in the comic book. And because... And definitely a story that is much closer to the original novel. Yes. And so what I get, I would love is, is uh, and it was IDW had done the original Harlan Ellison version of City on the Edge mm-hmm. Forever. I'm glad that it exists. I enjoyed reading it. Uh, I still, because I've just watched it so many times and it's in my, you know, it's like Blade Runner. Right. When you hear, Bla- you know, when you show me the director's cut of Blade Runner and I'm still hearing Harrison Ford's, Ford's narration, even though he's bored out of his skull doing it, that's my version of Blade Runner. The same thing with Sitting on the Edge of Forever. But I love this idea and it would be interesting to see if other publishers pick it up. Original screenplays of science fiction classics like the you know maybe our lost versions of it uh-huh. comic books are the perfect medium oh, yeah. for it yeah you know so i would because you're never going to get a studio to be able to produce that kind of stuff nor necessarily should you they yeah. are of their time that's yeah. another that's another podcast conversation 
for another podcast of that of that phrase it's of its time it hasn't mm-hmm. aged well it's like well should it have you know i mean it's it's being what it is at that time we'll talk about that other but this is twenty dollars i think it, yes that's a great deal yes so um it is, is it is done boom style which is a which is a it's a linen finish <laughs> did you hear book. that ross we're doing it boom style <laughs> it's it's a linen finish i think cover there's not a dust jack on it no it's no like, this is uh what do they call it? A board? Well, it's this is like the the wild cards that I picked up. Uh-huh. And thank you for, by the way, still unsettling my comfort zone with that. Of like, oh, when I bought that, I showed it to you, and I said, "This is good." If I don't get around to rereading it, at least I've already oh, yes. read it when it first came out. And you said, "Oh, but there are three new stories." I'm like, no. <laughs> so yes. Let's go on to movies, shall it's we? It's easy to find the three new stories. <laughs> I don't care. i got to reread the whole thing. Okay. That's the way it goes. All right. Anyway. So You'll enjoy let, it. Let's talk it's movies. Uh, one of the one of the things, I feel like this week in movie news, I'm almost talking only exclusively about disappointments. Uh, came out last week. No, no, no. Because this, this is movie news. We haven't seen any movies because we've been at a convention. But I think this is a negotiating ploy. I don't think this story is over. But Isn't I love, it always? But I love how we when, we, when people read news, they go, this is fact. Oh, my God, it's right. over. It's a and tragedy, you go, too. And you go, like, it happens the same way every time. And, in fact, I can recall yeah. that I wrote a similar article, I think, for Star Trek Beyond about how, oh, there might be a problem because of negotiation. Chris Pine and Chris Hemsworth were both previously contracted to appear in whatever – actually gets titled but the fourth of the new of the kelvin universe star trek films right it's rumored to be a, a time it's, travel story. it's those troubling triples is no, what no, no, it's no, a no, brand no. new story no no those troubling triples were already uh they were used in beyond uh into darkness poorly uh, the, the triples already existed you've already had that nod uh, the fourth one was going to be because the fourth one must always be a time travel story. So it was going to be a time travel story that took Jim James T. Kirk back in time to meet George Kirk, his father, right. who had been a pre-Thor Chris Hemsworth. So they were both contracted before he got Thor. Right. So Thor, Thor, he could hardly speak. Yeah. Anyway, uh, sorry. God, horrible old dad joke mm-hmm. slash summer camp joke. Anyway, uh, so. Paramount tried to lowball them. They were already contracted for, allegedly, I should always say this, allegedly they were already contracted at a certain rate to appear in the film. But because Star Trek Beyond did not perform to expectations, they wanted everybody to cut their salaries. So Pine, who, by the way, we already know is already Steve Trevor in Wonder Woman 1984, Trevor's back. He's quite an incredibly accomplished actor beyond yes. Hemsworth. Same thing. Hemsworth has got, well, if they were to ever return to the female Ghostbusters, there he is again. Yes. Uh, allegedly, he's going to be in a Men in Black reboot, which seems to be moving forward. And he's still happy playing Thor. So, you know, he, it's not like it, their dance cards aren't full. Yes. Uh, I would like Paramount to, to get their heads out of their butts, though, because really the best Chris Pine is unexpectedly. I don't think he's a perfect William Shatner impersonator. No, I've heard he people just, say, but he he, he captures it. It's like, yeah, but he's good. He's yeah. a good Kirk. It's a different version yeah. of Kirk. I'm I'm happy with it. Uh, I would like to see Hemsworth get to do more 
Because, you know, here's what I felt when I watched that first Star Trek movie, J.J. Right, right. Abrams, and that you had Chris Hemsworth. I didn't know who Chris Hemsworth was, but I watched that scene, and you had me kind of misting up in the first five minutes mm-hmm. of that movie. So much emotion, so much sincerity. Oh, the, 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 the scene is so It's uh, so brilliantly amazing, done. Amazingly. And, and as... As annoyingly talented as Chris Hemsworth is, because when you realize, man, that guy can dance, he can sing, he can do all this. I hate him, but I love him. <laughs> uh, I would like to hang out with Chris Hemsworth. I would a movie with the both of them sharing equal time would be amazing. So yes. you know, Paramount, you want people to go see a Star Trek movie first, no. pay the money, make a good money, make a good script, right? Uh, but sorry i'm sorry to say that to simon Pegg, but yeah that was not a good script into darkness no beyond into darkness wasn't a good good script either but beyond was the third one and i was like "Eh, okay beyond like it was like a pretty good tv episode and the movies need to be better than that yes and i'll grant you not all of them have been right but there it is so here's the one that's heartbreaking uh beyond that is that bond 25 it was announced yesterday Danny Boyle, the director, has walked away due to, quote-unquote, creative differences. It was announced by the Broccoli family, or Broccoli. Actually, I didn't know that. that's how they pronounce it. Broccoli? I, Broccoli. I've never heard that before. I've always heard people say and it, then Broccoli. I heard, uh, yeah, I know. And then I yeah. heard it as Broccoli and went, wait a minute, that's from somebody who actually would know. Uh, the Broccolis and... Uh, what's his name that's playing the role? I think I've even heard it on, like, commercials. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, Coming now and Daniel Craig announced together they are apparently producing. I think that's Craig is getting a pretty penny, uh, not only to reprise the role of Bond but also to get a producer's credit. So they announced together that Danny Boyle they couldn't they reached creative differences. So who knows who's going to direct Twenty Five? In the meantime, there was a great kerfuffle that Idris Elba was being eyed to be Bond in Twenty Six because we know that. Daniel Craig will be done after this. And then it turned out... Well, we knew he was going to be done after the last one, too. Yeah, but but it also turned out, no, you know, Idris Elba said, no. <laughs> and it, what had happened was someone had been in a bar talking to Anton Fuquay, the director, oh. who said, wouldn't it be great if Idris Elba was Bond? And it got... So right, why, telephone. Look, this is the problem, is internet journalism is a big game of telephone, and there it is. It did lead me to think, well, would I like Idris Elba as Bond? I'm like, it's not the Bond as described in the books, but who, other than us, I is liked, reading the books? I would have liked him as Roland if they'd done a decent script for Dark Tower. It turned out that, you know, I because was... Because they didn't uh, do that, but They yes. didn't do that, but he would have been a good no, Roland. Idris Elba is great. Yeah. I, you know, so yes, I'm, I'm done with it. Here's positive. Good. They're going to make a Supergirl movie in okay. the ever-shifting... Worlds of DC. I think we've mentioned that before, right? Officially she be a Comic-Con. darky, broody Supergirl. No, no, no. No, they've officially Goth. changed the title. It's no longer DC Extended Universe. At Comic-Con, they said it's Worlds of DC to cover how it's so many different, to encompass the TV show as well. So it's... That it's always parallel it's worlds. 52 different worlds. Well, I mean, you, you know this already on, on the CW. Yes. Supergirl exists on a different yes. Earth. Then Which is about Flash to collide, and, and we're going to talk about this, because it's about to collide. Right. Uh, the, again, that uh, that they're going to do a su- Supergirl movie with someone other than Melissa Benoist as Supergirl, and they're looking for a female director. Uh-huh. So that's all the news is. is that that's their active search right now. They want right. to make sure that it's helmed right. by a woman. Right. I did get a chance, and you know, may- maybe on the next episode, uh, I did get a s- chance to sit down with Helen Slater, the original Supergirl, 
and be part of a roundtable conversation. So we have that interview in, in, in wait because they're releasing, I guess they already did, re-release that on Blu-ray. So you can catch up on that original, which isn't as bad as people say it is because, my gosh, the talent. Peter O'Toole is in that movie. Oh, yeah. But anyway, uh, so speaking of those movies. I think the problem with that one was it has magic in it and people weren't ready for magic in a superhero. Faye Dunaway was the witch, Witch, right? yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, you know. I'm looking forward to watching that again to see is that was just what it was conceptually. When you think about in the movies that we have so much time travel, parallel universe, and nobody blinks. Right. And yet 30 years ago, no one would have, you know, every studio head would have gone, no one will get that. And, you know, even though sci-fi was already pushing it. So, again, we love being in this time that we live long enough. But uh, I'm going to go back to Star Trek for TV, which is also last week. Uh, the thing they promised they'd never do for Star Trek Discovery, they did. And I got into a few debates at Worldcon over it, and I said, come on. Uh, they cast Spock, as yeah. we knew we they were going to do, once yeah. they announced that, I always want to say, Jeffrey You want to make money? Put Mike. Spock in a Star Trek movie, yeah? A Star so Trek the third series. actor to play Spock as an adult, mm-hmm. Ethan Peck, who was the grandson of Gregory Peck, so that's good breeding well yeah i mean he might know how to act i don't know for sure but he might yeah uh is playing spock and you know i don't now that i've sat through and watched it all i i, I think this is the conversation i had this this weekend at worldcon is if gene roddenberry had had the budget this is what it would look like yeah yeah we're starting over and they'll try to keep consistent where they can but you know do you want spock's brain to still be canon <laughs> think about this do well, you I don't, I don't think we can erase the fact that it is canon i mean but yeah do you want that third of the episodes that are utterly horrible to still be legitimate or do you want to just move forward and tell the story new again yeah i mean uh, the one thing about this guy is I, I looked up a picture of him just now he's got the right brow he's got he's got good good eyebrow uh, and he's meant to be younger. This is still remember. This is ten right, years before right. the original series, so right. it's a younger version. So he can be having. He can be totally messed up in his Vulcan human half side. I don't think he much will be, and the reason. Be, I guess let me put it this way: depending on how tight a rain, and I think Paramount does keep a tight rain on yeah. the crossover novels. Uh, if you've read the first Discovery one, Desperate I did Hours, not. I did not. So Spock appears in that. That's the com- kind of the team up and confrontation between michael burnham and spock in that book okay first time that they meet captain pike as well and they have out a lot and so i think that book goes a long way and it's a prequel to the series as well so it takes place two or three years beforehand and so it kind of sets up that yeah they've gotten over some of their issues and spock has evolved because there were things he did need to understand about his parents uh-huh. in order to so that's covered there I, it's a good book it's a fun read and you know but again it could very well be that they license those and say well yeah. if it's not on the screen it's not canon it's not like star wars star right. wars i think is very tightly controlled right now but anyway i but if they're smart they still want characters that have flaws that you can write stories around so well absolutely absolutely that's the difference when somebody argued with that it was like Gene wouldn't have done it this way because, of course, Gene had this belief that there it's would be a bad, bad conflict. And then they go, yeah, Gene was wrong there, of all things. Yeah. And again, we know from the – you probably already knew, but I, I had not. You know, when I sat down with Rod Roddenberry a few weeks ago at Comic-Con, and he said, well, we're consulting on 
Discovery. Yeah. He has the full cooperation. They have the full cooperation of the Roddenberry estate. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're happy with where it's gone. And so it's all cool. Hulu might revive Veronica Mars. Wow. So Kristen Bell has said she'll come back. Rob Thomas, the original creator of the series, has said he'll come back. So the adult. So I think that's great. Kristen Bell has Veronica Mars and, say, The Good Place running uh, back. This is the wonderful thing about, like, Hulu and Netflix. I mean, it's killing other things. and There are downsides as well. Don't get me wrong. It's certainly, I think, hurting in the American model writer's ability to, uh, you know, like staff writers to have long-term job stability. Um, So that's bad. But that I do like that having shorter seasons of shows like The Good Place will consistently stay 13 episodes uh, that frees them up just like in on the BBC for actors to be juggling two or three series at once, you know, and so we can have. Yeah, we can have Kristen Bell come back to Veronica Mars, but it doesn't mean you can cross over. We have to wait. I don't want it to. <laughs> uh, don't talk about it till you've seen it. Okay, my contempt for you in the good place. Oh my! No, I'm just throwing it out there because you know you're making no, no. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, you know what? I was, I was thinking I'd, I'd seen her on uh, a video this afternoon. I was thinking if you wanted to find like a sister for um, Veronica Mars uh, for uh, for Kristen Bell for Kristen Bell. Ashley Eckstein would be perfect. I'm kind of intrigued, wondering if Ashley Eckstein is all that interested in live action. I don't know. She's making a lot of money off of clothing. No, I know she is. And she's certainly doing all right in in voiceover when she wants to. Yeah. So maybe she she found her niche and she's happy. I I don't know. I think she, you know, she's a good actor. You just just, have to see how much money it would take to tempt her away from uh, that. that, that. I I suspect they're friends because I think Kristen Bell has worn some of her universe stuff. Oh, really? I think. I I could be wrong. You know, but we know after Comic-Con this year, you know, the Jodie Whittaker and Ashley X. Yeah. You know, this is... Wow, three sisters. (laughs) One with an accent. (laughs) She went overseas. She's a joy. Lord, it's... it's, Yeah. Instead of charmed, it's just utterly charming. Yes. Uh, So... uh, not that the actresses on Charmed aren't charming. I don't know. I haven't watched that series yet. I didn't watch the first one, so I don't I know. I watched it. And, and so speaking all the way of, through Rosemary on. Speaking of fandom taking umbrage before they've seen anything and they're irritating the crap out of me, Ruby Rose was cast as Batwoman in the CW crossover this year, which would potentially spin off into a Batwoman series. Okay. Um, they're only going to have three series crossover instead of The Crisis on Earth X, which had all four. This will be, uh, I think it's probably because Constantine mucked everything up. It, it will be Arrow, The Flash, and Supergirl. Right. And Batwoman will appear. Well, you don't need the time travel aspect then. Do you? No, yeah. not really. Not really. But see, what's interesting is, is saying when we're talking about multiple Earths, both Supergirl and Arrow have made reference to Batman. Yes. So on both Earths, a Batman, a Batman exists. Sure. So not sure which Earth Batwoman will be from. Just need a crisis to shake it all out. Well, again, you know, I I actually had to remind somebody of that, that the pilot for The Flash implied the crisis is coming. Mm. So, you know, that was was the the future newspaper that they were trying to, you know, that that the Flash disappears in red skies. Right. So it is going to wrap up whenever they decide to wrap them all up. I I bet even if if they, if Arrow wraps up, that the final 
whatever this phase of the CW superhero verse of the arrow versus they call it, right. You know, Stephen Amell would come out of retirement, uh, you know, return to being green, probably return to, green, to being green arrow, like once a year to appear on one of the other shows. And is black lightning, black lightning's a different earth too. Yeah. Okay. They've actually established that the other characters exist in comic books. Oh, cool. so like the outsiders was, uh, right. A character had the outsiders in her pocket. The, the a quilt a, a of copy, copy of the comic of book. book, not the actual. So, like. no. So uh, anyway, that, that's, you know, we'll, we'll see, we'll see. And there's something else that was being developed. I forgot too. um, you know, iZombie doesn't count because that was Vertigo anyway. Although, right. oddly enough, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is going to join the cast of iZombie for the last season. <laughs> wow. I don't know why that makes me so happy, but it does. You know, uh, maybe he'll just be one episode, but I just think that's awesome. And, oh, there's some little bugs here. Oh, I just killed Ant-Man. Anyway, uh, so I was going to say, though, the thing with Ruby Rose being cast is she's already been driven off of social media as a result of people harassing right. her. And I'm like, right. I'm sorry, I guess the thing with Ruby Rose, and I've never seen anything, or no, I don't know that I've seen anything with her in it, is, uh, this is not a downside, I'm just saying, I guess this is the issue, is that, was she on Orange is the New Black? So she's, I think she's in real, in the real world, I think she's a lesbian, but considers her gender fluid. So I don't know what anybody has an issue with her playing Batwoman, I don't understand. I just, I'm utterly flummoxed by the hatred. Is it that people don't like the way Bat... Can we analyze hatred and look for the reasons? I guess not. The only thing I could think at the moment is like, okay, it's either... It's not like we're going to fix their reasons. No, 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 I know. Is it more like, is that somebody who went Batwoman? That's not Batwoman. Batwoman is Kathy Kane from 1958. No. You know... They're getting Batwoman and Batgirl mixed up. More like that could very well be more like I, you know, I, I, and even so, what if you read? They go, Batwoman's not a lesbian. Well, geez, you're not really reading the books, are you? Well, and if if they, and and if that's their problem, that it's Batwoman and Batgirl. So what if Barbara Gordon turned out to be? I mean, wouldn't you know? I mean, it's one of those things. We're back to the old Idris Elba. Well, we say that, but you're asking me why the the insane people are so hateful. Hateful. So yeah, again, we're drawing the line in the sand. You know, yeah. I just there's this thing of like this is the world. I, yeah. Anybody else being anything other than what you are doesn't get in the way of you being what you are, right. unless you're an asshole. In which case, they should get in the way of who you are. Yes. I'm sorry to be that blunt, but I'm. Yep. You know, nope. I just see it so much, and I'm just so tired of it. So you know, we're back to. Be kind. That's it. That's exactly what I not, Be kind to everybody, everybody. You know, I mean, look, we're all just trying to get through it. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, yeah. Actually, I want to stay around in a little while and then move through Well, no, 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 it, no. Yeah. But, I mean, we're all just trying to get through it. Yeah. And, uh, yes, I'd like to. I'd like you to take as much time as possible. <laughs> Thanks. And I want you to have a good time, and I want to have a good time. Yes. And I think we are. And, and I hope you'll have a good time on the next episode of Fanboy Planet. Thanks for listening to this one. Once again, if you have any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com. This is Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief of Fanboy Planet. And this is Rick Brett Snyder reminding you to use your powers for good.
thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreatluke.com.